Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> Tonight at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is. It's Taco Tuesday. Welcome to the Points in the Paint podcast, everybody, presented by Stadium. It's Ben Wittenstein with you. Zach Batcherhouse here, quarantine edition. And Zach, if you can't tell by the sound of my voice, I am just over the moon excited because as we've learned in the past 48 hours, the Bulls have now picked an executive VP of basketball operations. It is now the former Nuggets general manager, Arturis Karnaschovas, the 48-year-old will replace John Paxson in his former role as executive VP of basketball operations. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, John Paxson will have a advisory role or, or something of that sort with the Chicago Bulls. But we've got a lot to talk about, Zach, because the Bulls finally have a new direction for the franchise to move forward towards that big free agency summer of 2021. They have to decide some big player decisions as well. Um, and I, I just, as I said on Twitter Yesterday, I just don't know if I've been this excited about the Chicago Bulls and their future in at least half a decade, probably six or seven years or so. And you tweeted at me, you you quote tweeted me and said, you're going to try to temper my expectations a little bit. But man, that's going to be really difficult because I am just so excited with what the Bulls are doing right now. Oh, yeah. You through the roof, man. You are ecstatic. Like you, I know how you felt when you got the news, because this is something that's probably been a long time coming probably six or seven years in the making now if you're a, if you're a Chicago Bulls fan. And so for this guy to come in, you know, after obviously replacing John Paxson, who's not been a fan favorite, as we all know, <laughs> we've seen uh, yes. billboards or we've heard about billboards of, you know, fire people in the front office. And so the Bulls, they may have not have, you know, necessarily fired anyone or, you know, anyone have lost their job, but, some people have maybe been, you know, demoted and, you know, taking other roles. I believe what John Pax is going to take an advisory role within the Bulls organization, if I'm correct. Yep, he and, is. Yeah. And so who knows what that'll entail. But if you look at the Denver Nuggets over the course of maybe what the last three to four years and what they've been able to do with the talent that they've produced and including the hidden gem that people may not pay attention to within the next two to three years with even Michael Porter Jr. and them getting that that uh, young talent in the draft last year, they're in a good direct they're in a good direction. So he's so, you know, this guy's leaving the Denver Nuggets 
on a good note. So his resume obviously is going to speak for himself. Uh, the different Nuggets have been in playoff contention. You know, they've made the playoffs, made the second round of the playoffs. They've gotten depth from uh, different positions across the board over there. You know, they've been able to produce a lot of guys, whether it's uh, Jamal Murray, uh, Jokic in the second round, uh, finding that talent overseas. You know, obviously you have uh, Gary Harris, you have uh, Will Barton, and just the whole collective unit. They've been able to get it done, for me, Ben, the different Nuggets by committee with uh, the different talents that they do have. And so hats off to him getting this job, and maybe he'll be able to turn the Bulls organization and the Bulls roster around in a positive direction. But I don't think that's going to happen overnight. But no, I do like your right. But I do Zach, like your enthusiasm. Let though. me have my moment. <laughs> Let me have my yeah. moment. This is the most exciting thing. Yeah, the most exciting thing that's <laughs> happened in at least half of a decade for the Chicago Bulls. They finally got a, a good, competent, at least I think competent general manager. And I think for a lot of the reasons that you said, he started with the Nuggets in 2013. In 2017, he was made their official general manager before he was the assistant GM. And like you said, I mean, he's gotten some amazing talent. I think I'm on the same boat as you in thinking Michael Porter Jr. is going to be awesome. Um, but he got Nikola Jokic. At number 41 in the draft, he absolutely fleeced the Chicago Bulls as an assistant general manager when they were able to get Yusuf uh, Nurkic and Gary Harris in a trade from the Bulls, and they gave the Bulls Doug McDermott. It was it was a draft day trade, so he he has been on the good side of some fleece trades that the Bulls have made. So I'm just excited <laughs> for the the new possibility that he's been able to bring. That the Bulls need fresh blood they, they need a new body that is outside of the organization that doesn't have any connections to jerry reinsdorf that doesn't have any connections to gar foreman or john paxton just a new guy a fresh perspective and he's going to have autonomy in being able to pick his general manager who's then going to be able to pick a better head coach than jim boylan which i can't even begin to express how happy i am that they're going to be making those changes yeah uh jim boylan is already going to be concerned that he's going to be ousted with this position, with his uh, head coach position. And he probably should be because uh, he hasn't done a good job with this team. And to put it lightly, it's yeah, to put it lightly, you know, uh, Zach Levine, he's been, he's, he's been out verbaled and said, you know, I don't know what this guy's doing. So (laughs) yeah, it's been, it's been kind of nuts. Yeah. So it has been, been. yeah, he's been a very bad coach over the course of the year and a half. It's only been a year and a half. Right. But you know, it's felt like a decade. A, a new direction is, is required with, you know, obviously this guy taking over with VP of, uh, I mean, with complete control of basketball ops. And so you got to look in a new direction with the GM and who you're going to look for in terms of that. And you have to also look into who's going to be able to coach this team. And just like, you, you got to get, you got to get involved with like the rosters. So guys have to know like what direction we're going in. Like, am I going to be here? Am I not going to be here? Um, you know, obviously Lloyd marketing, it's been, he's been disinterested with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, what does that mean for him now? Or, you know, Wendell Carter wanting a position change. What does that mean for him now? And so like Zach Levine moving forward, is he going to be the number one guy or are they going to go out and try to get a number, number two guy or a number one guy to compliment Zach Levine? There's so many different questions with the Chicago Bulls moving forward that this moment right here, of hiring, you know, someone to be president of basketball ops, a new face outside of John Paxson is only the first micro mini step in a new direction for the Chicago Bulls. And they have to do something pretty stellar, I believe, this offseason to this summer. And we'll see what he'd be able to do. Yeah, and that's the thing. Now that the Bulls have their guy and they have someone who they can trust as that vice president of basketball operations, 
whoever he gets as general manager and then whoever they get as head coach, I'm, I really do not think Boylan is going to get another year as head coach of the Chicago Bulls. They're going to have to make some decisions this offseason, who to keep, who to trade. They're going to have to deal with Otto Porter probably taking his player option uh, that I think is about $28 million uh, for this next season. He'd be nuts to turn that type of money down. But I think what the Bulls are looking towards is not this offseason, but in 2021, which means they're going to have Otto Porter's $28 million off the books. They're going to have Felicio's uh, 13 or so, maybe 10 to $13 million off the books as well. There's going to be a mm. ton of free agents in 2021, including Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You're going to have Kawhi Leonard, I believe, as a free agent. Um, so you're going to have some of these guys, these big names, who the Bulls should always be in the running for as the Chicago Bulls as a big market, big name franchise and who they have not yeah. been able to get players in the past. That's true. You know, they are supposed to be like that. And we talked about that. Chicago Bulls is supposed to be a top five market, you know, top three market in the NBA. And it hasn't been, you know, for quite some time. However, you know, this guy, well, how do you say his name? Carson, no, Carson, Carson, so, ooh, yeah, that's a hard Car- one. That's a Lithuanian, <laughs> right? That's that Lithuanian, man. But, yeah. uh, Karnashovas is, I think, how most people are pronouncing it. A lot of people call him Artie or Carney. I've heard a couple people because he went to Seton Hall, so he's had yeah, he a pretty he went to Seton in the United Hall. States. Mm-hmm. He went to Seton Hall and he played basketball overseas. You know, he had got his foot in the door in the NBA with the Houston Rockets, and then he was an international scout before he uh, grabbed the job in Denver. So he he has a track record. You know, he has a resume in terms of being around the NBA and being around basketball for quite some time. So, you know. This is only a positive step. We only look at this as a positive step for the Chicago Bulls, but there are more steps that need to be taken with this direction too. But it is a positive one, so I'll give I give you that, Ben. It is a positive direction for the Chicago Bulls, and that's been something you've been dying to have Crazy. all NBA season. <laughs> no, and that, and that's the thing is at this point, one positive step is such a big monumental step for the Bulls because if you look at the team as as their history has gone in the past, oh, 20 or so years, I guess after since Michael Jordan left in the late 90s, they really have been a very closed system where they hire from within, they hire guys who they know, and they're very loyal to them, and, and they stick with them. They've stuck with John Paxson. There was a time in the late 2000s where John Paxson voluntarily said he would leave the organization, and, and the Reinsdorfs would not let him leave. Um, so there have been points where they have had opportunities to make changes to the front office, and they just haven't. They are just extremely loyal to the people who they hire, and those people, in turn, are loyal to the Reinsdorf. So what happens is you kind of do have this closed system where you don't have a lot of movement in the front office. You don't have an expansion of the front office. You don't have an expansion of the analytics department. And what happened eventually is the Bulls kind of fell behind these other big market teams. You look at what the Rockets are doing. You look at what the Clippers are doing, what the Bucks have been doing. I mean, obviously what the Warriors have been doing. They have accepted analytics. They've accepted a change in the NBA system where you move to a more three-point shooting system. You expand the front office. You expand your scouting. And the Bulls have just done none of that. So what I'm really hoping this move signifies is it changes the whole direction of the front office. They expand their scouting, they expand their analytics department, they expand their training department, and it all starts with Artie, with Arturis Karshinovas, and hopefully it, it works out this way, but like you said, there's a lot of steps to go. They have to make coaching changes, they have to make personnel changes, and there's a long road ahead because the Bulls do have some good pieces, but they've got a lot of roadblocks as well, which I'm a little worried about. 
Yeah, you got some roadblocks, you know, to take care of. You know, obviously, like I said, like the roster. Uh, you mentioned free agency and and certain free agencies, certain free agents that could possibly come in 2021. But the names that you the names that you brought up, I don't believe they would come. However, I believe there are. This is a new opportunity. I look at it like this, Ben. You named some pretty elite upcoming free agents, like you know, Giannis and uh, Kawhi Leonard and. And uh, Damian Lillard, I believe, yeah, Anthony Davis and and Damian Lillard is going to be one of those people too. Well, he was he was going to be one of those people too, as well. But I look at the younger generation that are on the first year contracts, like rookie contracts, so guys like Brandon Ingram, you know, those type of guys that are in those uh, contracts that are drafted around 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. and even, you know, 2019, well, not 2019 just yet, but, you know, those last two draft classes. And, and like, let's say, for instance, De'Aaron Fox doesn't get, let's say, for instance, De'Aaron Fox doesn't get paid in Sacramento. You know, that could be, that oh, could be a be player the Bulls could, you know, that could be a player the Bulls could try to get, or like, or Brandon Ingram. What if he doesn't stay in the Pelicans? Maybe he comes to Chicago. He can be that, that score, that number one score for the Chicago Bulls. Granted, you may want a more defensive minded, uh, two way player as well, but, you know, that's someone you can look into. But there are other players, you know, that maybe haven't gotten paid yet that you can look at in a new direction moving forward that you don't have to necessarily look at a late 20 year old or early 30 year old as, you know, helping to change your franchise around for the better. If that right. makes sense, you know? And, and I think a lot of what car Nishovis brings to the bulls is his international acumen. Um, he's been able, as we talked about, Jokic was a huge get for him. And he, he's someone who used to work with the basketball without borders office. He ran the Adidas Euro camp uh, when he was a scout with the Rockets. And I guess that Euro camp is kind of like the European version of the NBA combine. So you get the best of the best European players to come and kind of see how they play. And with his ability to do that and to know the international leagues and to know what to look for in international players, that's seems to be where the league is trending a lot too, is, is getting these international players. Everyone is looking for that next Giannis to show up and, and to go to those gyms where there's only two or three people watching these games. And it seems like our tourist knows how to do that. Yeah. He's, uh, he's done a great job. You know, I'm looking at the Denver Nuggets roster right now and it's you know, they've done a pretty, yeah, they've done a pretty good job with the, you know, cause there's no face, you know, I mean, if you want Jokic to be the face of the franchise and that's fine, but there's no true like superstar level, like talent on this team. But they just been able to do it by a collective, you know, by a collective unit. Like I said, Jamal Murray, you know, he's played exceptionally well. But then you got guys like Gary Harris who will play well too. And then you have another guard that'll come off the bench and perform extremely well for you with Monte Morris. Then you got a veteran leadership in Paul Millsap, you know, who's been around the league for uh for over ten years now, and he's been able to produce with this team, obviously and and the Atlanta Hawks as well when he was with Al Horford. So, you know, they have veteran leadership on this team. They have a lot of young guys. They have a lot of aggressive guys with uh Will Barton. Like I said, Bobo, we never know what he might end up becoming, right? Seven foot two uh guy out of Oregon that was um one and done last year. You yeah. never know what he's going to become along, like I said, with Michael Porter Jr. You don't know. Like they have some guys that can really become like some star level talent in this in this league. And so for him to go out and uh, be in the room or be in the conversation and executing that, you know, it says a lot about him and what the uh, Bulls can expect moving forward. And, you know, the other thing that I do like about what he has done is he is not scared of making not huge trades, 
but making trades. We saw him trade, yeah, you know, the small ones. Yeah, we saw him trade Wancho, Hernan Gomez, and Malik Beasley to the to the Timberwolves, and and those two guys are really really solid role players for any team. And we saw Malik Beasley play really well with the Timberwolves before the yeah, NBA so postponement season. Yeah, yeah, and so, so got over there. It was like media impact. Yeah, which is amazing, which shows how good of a talent Beasley was and how much he was being suppressed by the talent that Denver had. I mean, he was not even the fourth or fifth option on that team, and he goes to the Timberwolves and he starts being this <laughs> offensive juggernaut. So Artie is obviously able to get some of these really good talents, and he's not afraid to trade them away for the good of the future of the team because he was able to get some cap space available to make some moves. So the Bulls historically, at least John Paxson and Gar Foreman in the past you know, 10, 11, 12 years, have been a bit hesitant to make those really big off-season moves or even mid-season moves at the trade deadline. They're not really big trade deadline uh, people who do big moves. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to a guy who knows that he has to sometimes make the big moves or get rid of some players that he likes in order to improve the future of the team. Because we all, any Bulls fan know, knows that Paxson and Foreman were always so hesitant to trade their own players. They always overvalued their own talent. And that was detrimental to the team because they would never trade the guys that they needed to get rid of in order to help the future of the team. So I think that's going to be a huge boost to what the Bulls do. I hope it's something that the Bulls do because there are going to be some big moves that needed to be made. For example, Lowry Markkinen. What do the Bulls do with him? Do they keep him for the new coach and see if he can develop better in a new coach's system? Is it Boylan that's been holding <laughs> wait, wait, him back? Wait, 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 wait. Let's just stop you right there. It's just you already done fired Jim Boylan. I just want you oh, to absolutely. know that. <laughs> like you've already like you see how you just said that you basically just fired him. Like what they go do? <laughs> I I would be so disappointed if he stays. I don't. I don't. There's no way he he's the Bulls you head coach. Already basically. just fired him. You, there's no way. And if he is. I don't know what I would do with myself. That would be that would be disgusting if he was the head coach of the Bulls next season. So, in my beautiful brain where I hope Jim Boylan is fired, where does Lowry Market <laughs> stand? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Zach, do you think Lowry still has potential in the league? Do you think he still is someone who could live up to being that not – I mean, he's not going to be a Porzingis-type player, but kind of that unicorn-type player who's seven feet tall but can also – shoot the three ball consistently is that still possible for Lowry it's the injuries alongside with Wendell Carter and basically them two not meshing well or like we've talked before on the podcast them not playing enough games together throughout the course of their time on the Chicago Bulls thus far right. so it's pretty tough like there's no direction with Lloyd marketing because you don't really know what he wants right now and what can he really provide for this team based off, you know, his ability to be available on the floor. Now that's something that can be discussed too with the Chicago Bulls organization is the training staff and uh, the medical staff of this, of this, uh, of this team. And what, do, what direction do they go forth with that? Because if you pay attention over the course of the last few years, uh, the Bulls doesn't seem like they've done a great job, uh, with their with their players medically from a medical standpoint. I mean, what do you have to say about that, Ben? Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, you're 100% right. There was an article, Casey Johnson just wrote one today, um, where he talked about that injuries have definitely been a problem for the Bulls. He said, I think he said in the last five years alone, the Bulls have the six most games missed due to injury in the league. And that is, that's the last five years. So that's not even counting 
the Derrick Rose years where he missed games due to injuries um, and Joe Kim Noah missing games due to injuries with plantar fasciitis and everything like that. So the history Luol, of the Bulls. Luol Dang. Luol Dang. Luol Dang. Luol Dang missed, uh, yeah, missing time. He was on his practically deathbed, like you just mentioned. So, and he then, I mean, I, issues. Thibodeau, Thibodeau, Thibodeau. It just goes all yeah. the way back to Thibodeau every time. That's, that's the thing, too. Your players out. Is a lot of people <laughs> talked about. Thibodeau as being the issue, you know, overplaying, overplaying his players, playing them too many minutes. But now the Bulls have been through three more head coaches and they still continue to have injury issues, which makes me think I don't think Thibodeau was the main cause behind that. He, he certainly isn't blameless, but I don't I mean, if you still have the same injury issues through three different coaches, that starts to, to be an issue with your training staff. And, and that's what I'm really hoping is changed. With, Kar- with Karnaschovas, is he, he comes in and he expands the training staff, or at least he changes it up, or he appoints someone to, to head the training staff that can that can work by himself to expand it and to improve it. Because injuries, no doubt, have been a top three issue that the Bulls have had to deal with in the past decade or so. I mean, the future was ruined when Derrick Rose tore his ACL. It absolutely destroyed the franchise, as we saw after he did that the next Eight or nine years were a disaster simply because of that torn ACL. So there there needs to be something done with the way the, the injuries are dealt with on the Bulls. And I, I'm hoping that's something, one of the factors that changes with the new vice president of basketball operations. Now, that may be not the first item on his list, but I think it's, you know, it's a pretty important item. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's definitely something that needs to be uh, looked at and definitely something that needs to be uh, paid attention to moving forward with this organization. Because like you said, and uh, Casey Johnson, he wrote it. It's been way too many injuries, and it just seemed like they've been, like, tedious and repeating themselves, especially with Wendell Carter and Lloyd Marketing. Like, those two are something that's really should have made people realize that there's been, like, a problem here. Like, there's a legit problem here. These two have really never played that many games together since being drafted. And and what, one of them was drafted, what, 2017, and the other one was drafted, what, in 2017? 18, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, like, what, the course of the last three years, these guys probably haven't even played a season worth of games together. So, like, that's a huge problem with the chemistry, especially if these guys are in the lineup at the same time. So, like, there's a lot of stuff. That's why I told you last night, like, we got to simmer you down just a little bit because <laughs> of the itty-bitty things that has to take place. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta come down back to earth, uh, with something like this and be able to, uh, to realize that the Bulls are a project and that's absolutely true. They're a project where you have to be able to realize that there, there are a lot of issues that are kind of underneath the surface and that is injuries. That is knowing what type of players they're going to be able to get in terms of is Lowry going to be able to develop? Is Wendell going to be able to develop alongside Lowry? Is that, where does Zach Levine fit in this whole thing? You know, is he going to be able to, be someone who is the number one option on this Bulls team. And I'm kind of in the camp where I think he's probably, if you're going to build a championship team, he is at most the the second option, but probably a better third option. So you need those one or two other stars to be on the team with you. So I'm just not sure exactly where the Bulls are going to be going from here, but I'm, I'm happy that they did make the change that they have this new vice president of basketball operations, and it depends who he hires as general manager as well to see where that goes. Um, but I, I think it is important that they have made these first steps and that they have been able to at least show that they are willing to change the direction of the franchise. And, again, we could talk about the worries of 
other general managers around the league turning this position down. Bobby Webster from Toronto, Chad Buchanan, the GM of the Pacers, Adam Simon, the, the Heat assistant GM. They all turned the job down. Actually, Bobby Webster, uh, the Raptors wouldn't let him interview because he's still under contract. But uh, Buchanan. Okay, that's the one I was curious about. Yeah, Buchanan and Simon uh, turned it down, which. I think it shows, again, where the Bulls kind of are as an organization, that you have people turning down the job to be the basketball operations vice president. I mean, that's that's not a great look for the organization. No, it's not at all. But it also goes to show you another direction of like the the, you know, how much privilege you got to really have to be able to turn down a job. So like the the privilege of Bobby Webster and and Chad and Adam Simon, like those guys had that luxury to be able to turn down a high level profile job like that. When meanwhile, as we transition, uh, people of color don't necessarily get that same opportunity, you know, in terms of uh, being in charge of like head basketball operations uh, as opposed to um, their white counterparts in a league, which is 75 percent black, you know, in the NBA. So as mm-hmm. we trans as we transition here, that's our second about of the big three. The big three, of course. Now let's talk a little bit about this idea of having a Rooney Rule implemented in the NBA because it's not necessarily a Rooney Rule in this league as opposed to like you know obviously the Rooney Rule comes from the National Football League. So what do you think of the idea of having a Rooney Rule in the uh, in the NBA? It seems. Uh, after what the Bulls did in terms of not even giving a minority person of color an interview, not even an interview, Zach, I think something needs to be done. Like you said, 75% of the league is is black. And the fact that you can't even find one minority, one person of color to interview to be a GM or vice president of basketball operations seems kind of insane because there are so many black assistant general managers from all over the NBA that could have had a great opportunity here to move up the ladder. And it they weren't even given an interview, which yeah, I think that, is insane. Yeah, the interview, see, the interview part is what uh, can be troublesome to, for some people, you know, because I think Mark Spears was even a little frustrated because he even sent out a list via Twitter of uh, potential candidates for, you know, as, that are currently assistant GMs in the league right now. So you got, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Finley, who's from Chicago. No, he's yeah, he from, was the big, yeah. yeah, he was from Chicago. And then you got Mark Eversley, you got Mark Hughes, Gerald Maskins, uh, Milt Nilton, and he's with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks right now. You know, Milt Nilton, he's with the Milwaukee Bucks, best record in the NBA, you know, right? And then you have uh, Jeff Peterson and Troy Weaver, Bryson Graham, there's Malik Rose. There's Joe Branch. Like the like there were other names and other candidates that could have had an opportunity, an opportunity to be interviewed, but there wasn't one. And that just goes to show you like, should there be a a rule put in place? And then that goes to show you like why should there be a rule in place, right? Like we shouldn't necessarily have a rule put in place for people who are, you know, qualified, regardless of race, should be put in position to be able to have that opportunity. I mean, you never know until that person's in the room, right? And I just think that's uh, something that should be implemented or necessary moving forward after seeing something like this from the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, Mark Spears, he wrote a great piece in The Undefeated, and it quoted some coaches and and front office personnel that were talking about, they used the word shameful, that the Bulls didn't consider or interview any black candidates to to even be a part of their organization, which 
is not a great look for the Bulls. It's not a great look for a league that's 75% black for their players. And the fact that they couldn't find anyone to even talk to or interview. As like you said, Milton from Milwaukee, why the heck would you never want to talk to someone from the Milwaukee (laughs) Bucks? It's them. I would love to talk to anyone who's part of the Milwaukee Bucks. They have done an absolutely phenomenal job getting Giannis, keeping Giannis, Middleton, making trades to get Brogdon. And then they obviously got him away, but, or traffic yeah, Brogdon brothers led so it's been amazing why would you not want to talk to someone from that organization yeah anybody from anybody from the uh milwaukee bucks organization or any or i'll give you the list of teams anybody from the milwaukee bucks the golden state warriors over the last over the last decade those type those two teams over the last two over the last decade are you should be talking to someone in those in those offices like oh, you have to, to. for someone to be qualified as a candidate for for a position like those two over the last 10 years have done a phenomenal job from, in my opinion, from 2010 to 2020 in terms of handling business across the table from front office to uh, putting it on the basketball floor. Obviously, the Warriors and the Bucks, you know, they're right there. They're getting closer. But those two organizations are are two organizations that I believe have come far from being in the 2000s to 2010 to 2010 to 2000. 20 they've made a huge difference in terms of uh front office changes and head coaches changes too as well so yeah i i it's interesting because should the nba have a rooney rule i think they should have something like that i think the fact that they do have 75 percent of black players which i think is the highest percentage of black players of any league in the united states it maybe it makes them feel like we don't need a rule like this or or something like that it makes them maybe lazy to the fact that they should institute these rules and there's still issues with getting black executives to move up the ladder. So it does seem like they do need something like this. And I think the bulls not doing a better job of at least reaching out to more minority candidates uh, highlights that issue perfectly. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause uh, I read a, a quote from one of the black assistant GMs and he basically was saying it's clear that it's underlining hypocrisy and telling us that the NBA is diverse. But when an opportunity comes, the process isn't. So that's a, that's very interesting because, like I said, yeah, this is a process. Right. But look how fast this process took place with the Chicago Bulls. Like we found out not even a week ago that they were looking for someone and they already found someone. But you didn't even volunteer. I mean, I won't even put it in. I wouldn't even just put it in a race perspective. I don't even, they didn't even uh, interview a woman. So who's to say that a woman can't be qualified for this position too? You know, so like right. a woman or, or a person of color or a woman that is a person of color. Like who's to say that, you know, so they can't have this job too. So yeah, there are some, uh, there are some underlining uh, hypocrisies with this and, you know, it can be disappointing and frustrating uh, depending on who you are and how you look at, how you look at this situation across the league. But, you know, you got to do something moving forward because you put that attention on yourself the organization with the Chicago Bulls, like you brought this to light it's as something that is a clear cut problem across the league. So, yeah. And everyone, everyone is still waiting for Becky Hammond to get that shot. The, the Spurs assistant coach. And every Man, time there's she a, should be a head coach opening, in the NBA, she definitely, oh, 100%. Should be yeah, no, everyone can talking about when is Becky Hammond going to get her shot. Listen, Bulls are going to have a head coach opening. <laughs> Hopefully we see her name being floated around. I mean, at least, at least like an interview or some recognition or something like that. It would be uh, nice yeah, to. Yeah, no, she deserves, she deserves a head coach interview without question. She deserves a head coaching position interview. That's, to, that's the least, like that's the minimum. Like she, like she deserves that without question. Like she should coach under Popovich, you know. 
Right. Because how many how many coaches are in the league throughout history? Right. How many have we've counted in the past of this course of this season? At least what, five or six guys? Yeah, have been unfortunately, Boylan is part of that list. But yeah, he's part of that list, too. Maybe he needs to go <laughs> back and get some more tips from Pop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I could not agree with you more on that sentiment right there. <laughs> and this is the perfect transition into uh, number three of our big three. The big three. Kobe Bean Bryant. Whew, man, it sucks to talk about this in this way, man. It really does. Like, it just really does. It just sucks, man, that he's not here and he's not going to be here to be able to give us that great speech that he, I know he was going to give, man. He was going to say something so powerful and it was going to be one, it was going to be one of the greatest basketball speeches we ever seen because he's just that type of basketball intellect. And he was just going to thank so many people and it was just going to be just, it was just going to be so great. But like you said, you know, Kobe Bryant's entered the 2020 class basketball hall of fame, 15 time NBA all-star three time finals MVP or two time MVP and along with other accolades, including then you got Tim Duncan, 15 time NBA all-star and you got Kevin Garnett, 15 time NBA. (laughs) Well, no, Kobe was 18 time all-star Tim Duncan and, uh, KG, they both were 15 times, and that's 48 the most ever among NBA among NBA players entering a Hall of Fame class. So that just shows you how yeah. much they put in. This is quite the class. And then, obviously, Tamika Catchings is going in as well. I mean, that, oh. this is an insanely good class. Just between KG, Kobe, and Duncan, I mean, these are three pillars of mid-2000s NBA. I mean, these... They were the three names that you would constantly talk about other than maybe, you know, Shaq or LeBron, I guess. But uh, those three were, were the NBA from 2000 to 2010 specifically. Yeah, and it's kind of annoying <laughs> because I have to be honest. Like, I have to be fair and I have to be honest with myself. Kevin Garnett, I love Kevin Garnett. Always have, always will. As a basketball player, Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant, San Antonio Spurs and Los Angeles Lakers, I never liked those franchises ever. And so, like, <laughs> to see those two teams have the amount of success that they had in that decade was driving me nuts. But I have to say that they did a job well done. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, the San Antonio Spurs, you know, they won, what, every other – it seemed like every other year during that time frame. I mean, they won in 2003. They won in 2005. They won in 2007. It's like they were literally winning it every other year. They had the Lakers. They entered the decade, three-peat. And then Shaq gets traded. Will Kobe ever win again? Then he goes back-to-back. So it's just, yeah, like these guys have been pillars to the to the basketball world. They've done such great things for the basketball community. Kobe Bryant's been a phenomenal player, top five player. Tim Duncan, he's arguably the best power forward to ever, you know, touch a basketball, five-time NBA champion. Yeah, Kevin Garnett, who's probably made the most money of all NBA players. I don't even know if people really even know that, but he's probably made the most money while playing than any other player, like, ever. I don't think people really realize that. On top of being a champion and being, you know, a fourteen. He's just been a great player. All defensive team. Like I just love these guys. But I can go on. Yeah, I mean this is this is players. this class is is the NBA. I mean this is this is quintessential NBA players, just grinders, guys who had huge followings, who who showed obviously how how hard they worked day in and day out. And Tim Duncan obviously wasn't 
as loud as what Kobe yeah. and KG were doing, but <laughs> he has he has kind of his own little personality going, which is which is kind of fun. Very baggy shorts and flip flops type of dude, <laughs> which I really respect. <laughs> I respect the hell out of Tim Duncan. For he's that. so he is, corny, yeah, he is so corny, but like he's so he's accomplished. Corny. Like he's he's still he accomplished. Like, you can't knock that. Like no matter how boring, like his nickname is Mister Fundamental, so it doesn't get no boring. It doesn't get no more boring than that, uh, Ben. But, like, we can't forget the other people in this Hall of Fame class. So you got the four-time National Coach of the Year, Eddie Sutton, two-time NBA champion, coach, Rudy, I hope I say this last name right, Rudy Tomovich, Kim Mulkey, the women's Baylor's basketball coach. Hey, she's a beast, man. I have to give her her credit when credit's due. She's more than just a coach. Like she may be a three-time NCAA champion at Baylor, but she was a hell of a player. Kim Mulkey was a hell of a player. At Louisiana yeah. Tech. And remember I told you to watch Women of Troy on uh, HBO to watch that sports documentary. I don't know if you got the opportunity to watch it yet, but that's a great documentary. And she's in it. And she, like, she played against those uh, USC women's Trojans teams. And, man, she was good. Kim Mulkey was a good basketball player as much as she was a coach. So shout-out to her entering into this Basketball Hall of Fame as well. Then we got Division Two National Coach of the Year, Barbara Stevens and Patrick Bowman. Long-time FIBA executive for all of things. That's a great class. class. I mean, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be one of the top classes probably ever. And I mean, I think people are obviously looking at Michael Jordan class, which was awesome. But I mean, this Kobe Bryant and Duncan KG to be catching this this whole thing is a really really good basketball class to be going to the Hall of Fame for sure. Without question. All right, we'll go to uh, let's go. You know, we'll do stat of the week here on the Points in the Paint podcast. Zach, what's our stat of the week this week? Stat of the week is four, and that's because that's how many NBA 2K20 games for charity that have taken place so far. And it's been some interesting games. Some of Two of them were kind of boring, and then two of them were were a little more exciting, Ben. I don't know if you have actually – did you actually get the opportunity to see any of the games? I didn't get a chance watched, to ask you that. Yeah, I, I didn't watch them live, but I watched some of the replays, and they okay. were interesting. I, I thought they were they were interesting. They were fun to watch, and it's obviously nice to see some basketball being played and to see some of the NBA stars doing things. I don't know. Did you, did you like it or not? Okay, so this is what took place. And I kind of felt bad that I, I, I basically watched the wrong games. Because the Derrick oh, Jones, no. Kevin Durant game, that one was kind of boring. Uh, Kevin Durant, he was winning in the first quarter, but then he just couldn't make no more shots after that. And then Derrick Jones, he, <laughs> like, what was crazy? The takeaway is really from, from all of this is that basically you got to use Milwaukee. So you got to use Giannis to yes. really have a good shot at winning, at least for these guys, because three of the four, uh, three of the four player, three of the four players that I know that had won used Milwaukee. So. They were pretty heavy on using Giannis. Yeah, they were pretty heavy on using Giannis. And Derek Jones was one of them. And then DeAndre Aiden and Zach Levine. Zach Levine, he played bad. But he had said during his stream that the last time he played NBA 2K was when he was drafted. So he hasn't played since. And you know uh, DeAndre Aiden is fresh. Mm. He's fresh off playing NBA 2K because, you know, he's only been in the NBA, what, a year or so. If Yeah, a year or so. So he's fresh out of playing in uh, NBA 2K. So is Trey Young. And Trey Young manhandled Harrison Barnes. He put up 101 points. <laughs> it was 101 Jeez. to 59 against Harrison Barnes. 
And then the the most entertaining one was the one I did not watch. And I was so disappointed that I didn't get a chance to watch it because I decided to play 2K on my own. But Patrick Beverly, he beat, he was ranked 14th, 14th seed. And he beat the number three seed, Hassan Whiteside, by 30 points. So it was 84 to 54. And everybody was playing. Oh, no. He's probably trash talking. (laughs) He was trash talking so heavy. And, like, it was hilarious because he was even trash talking. Like, so Hassan Whiteside used the Los Angeles Lakers. And he used LeBron. I think LeBron had dunked. And he was and like Patrick Beverly was just like he was supposed to be doing that on the video game. He's thirty. He's still thirty five at the end of the day. So yeah, <laughs> he even found a way to even trash talk like LeBron. So it was pretty crazy. Uh, but I can say this though, Pat Bev, he's a gem. He's a gem, man. He's a gem. He is. <laughs> and that's but, the thing too is, if you're the NBA, you want like the best personalities for this. And I was watching the DeAndre Ayton Zach Levine one and. Levine's a good guy. He he knows he's he's smart. He he knows a lot about basketball, but yeah. he's not like the most entertaining person to put in front of a camera for for an hour and just talk about the game. So it, there's I mean there's a reason why like streamers make a lot of money is because they're entertaining to watch. So you want you know someone like a Patrick Beverly? I would love to watch him play video games. I mean he just <laughs> seems someone who would just trash talk you over the microphone. Like plays, you want some of these plays, guys who would like, be fun personality. Basketball. <laughs> he plays yeah. like he plays basketball. So yep, that's entertaining within itself. Yeah, you, you just want the guys that are entertaining to watch that'll be, you know, bitching about a, a bad call in a video game. Like that is the type <laughs> of stuff I want to watch. No, it was great though. Like watching the recap of their game, Patrick Beverly on the side white side made th- made this thing this whole tournament like more impressive. So I'm I can't wait to see who uh who he's gonna play next. But yeah, the Bucks were the most popular team as Three of the eight players picked the Bucks, and then the Rockets were picked. You know what was crazy? Um, nobody picked the team that they played for, which I found to be interesting. Like nobody, oh. picked, and because like like I said, Hassan Whiteside, like he didn't pick the Blazers. He picks he picked the Lakers, and then uh, Zach Levine. He said once he started that he should have picked the Bulls so he could just <laughs> shoot with himself every time. But he had ended up picking the Miami Heat, and he was rolling. He was catching oops with uh, Derek Jones, who's in the tournament. So yeah, it's pretty cool, man. This tournament's been uh hasn't been too crazy. I know Ronnie Two K. He needs to do a better job at being a moderator because he's mm-hmm. kind of awkward. He's definitely awkward. So uh, they definitely maybe, maybe maybe people don't like playing as themselves in video games. I don't know. I feel like I would have a ton of fun playing as myself in a video game, but maybe, maybe players feel like they're, maybe it's like weird or something for them. It's like looking at yourself on like in a movie or like on a screen and being like, Ooh, that's, that's kind of weird. Maybe they just don't like playing as themselves. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I understand Trey young, not wanting to be like the Hawks and I definitely understand Zach Levine, not wanting to be the bulls, but it's interesting oh, yeah, when someone like terrible. on a team like Portland. Those are terrible teams. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you're on Portland like Whiteside, you just can go off with Dame or McCollum. But I understand them wanting to be like the Lakers if you're on the Hawks or if you're on like the Kings. <laughs> the Kings are just not a super fun 2K team to play with unless you're just going off with De'Aaron Fox. But and Buddy Hill, if you could if you could shoot with Buddy Hill and De'Aaron Fox, you'd probably be yeah. in a good position. Find a couple buckets for Marvin Bagley, you'd be all right. <laughs> May have to go test out that theory after this podcast. Yeah, you might be all right. Uh, all right, let's do. Uh, we'll do overreaction. And what's Man. the overreaction? This one was something that you brought to my attention, and I didn't even know that was something that was even. Uh, yeah. 
something to really pay close attention to, I guess. And that was the Atlanta Hawks possibly on a new search for a yeah. new head coach. And yeah, this fun. was um, it was a report from Yahoo. And they said there's been some disconnect between Trey Young and their the Hawks head coach Lloyd Pierce. And they were saying that Trey Young has shown some frustration with the head coach. And, and Lloyd Pierce has shown that he's sometimes frustrated with Trey Young and, you know, his lack of defense because we we all know as much as we do love Trey Young he is a turnstile on the defensive side of the ball so yeah, he's pretty small just and, and get after guys and the interesting thing is too I mean the, the Hawks are a team that's, that's obviously rebuilding and they have a lot of really good pieces so I think this is a team that could get something going and they just obviously with the with the Collins suspension and then obviously they traded a ton of people they got some good people back um but this was a team that was kind of in a transition this year. So it's tough to have a, a star and head coach butting heads in a transition year because that doesn't spell anything well for the future. But hopefully maybe next year, once the season starts, if Lloyd Peters is the head coach and Trey Young is still their star player, he may have improved defensively. If he doesn't have to worry about being the only offensive player on the team, he gets some help from Clint Capella in the pick and roll game. And maybe he improves some other aspects. We know he's a good passer. So it's just oh, don't interesting. Don't forget about this, this the disconnect. And John Collins. Yeah, I mean, John Collins will still improve. Hopefully he doesn't get suspended for 25 games. Yeah, um, but this is a Hawks team that, you know, it's, its stock is trending up. Definitely trending up. You know, you, like I said, you can't forget about John Collins. That's a walking 20 and 10 right there. And then all you really need is for a guy like Cam Reddish to continue playing like he did after the All-Star break. You know what I'm saying? He really stepped his game up, you know, a little bit better after the All-Star break, you know, for that Atlanta Hawks team. And then this is what I really believe. Lloyd Pierce has to do a better job on the off with the with the offense and not just allowing it to be the Trey Young show. You know, like you can't just have all that usage rate being on him on offense because he has to come down on the other side and actually have to play defense too as well. So he can't just use all his energy on one side of the ball. He has to be able to play both ways. And Lloyd Pierce has to do a better job of making sure he's getting everybody involved offensively, which that doesn't say that, you know what I'm saying, Trey Young doesn't do that because he is a nine, eight or nine assist guy a game already into his career. And so, you know, he's just getting the right opportunities for everyone to get the ball on office, you know, get setting guys up, whether basically not just only having Trey Young setting guys up, but making sure that Cam Reddish can get the offense going, or maybe John Collins can get the offense going at the at the high elbow or finding Trey Young. You know how kind of like the uh the Warriors find Steph Curry off the ball. You know, maybe Trey Young can be that kind of player for, you know, the uh the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, and, and if Lloyd Lloyd Pierce is a good coach, so I mean, hopefully he kind of figures out a good system that works for him and the team and, and that gets Trey Young to buy in. And you just you don't want your star player and your head coach to be a heads. Mm-hmm. That doesn't that doesn't need to be said, but in a situation like that too, it's Players going to be Lloyd win. Yeah, it's gonna be Lloyd <laughs> Pierce that loses his job. You're not gonna get rid of Trey Young, a, a kind of a once in a lifetime type of talent that you have on your team. You're you're gonna get rid of the head coach. So Lloyd Pierce is gonna have to either give up some leeway or something because you need to make sure Trey Young is happy. That's the number yeah. one goal. And there's, there's always going to be that narrative out there that you could have had Luka Doncic and you chose Trey Young. So you could yep. never get rid of Trey Young. You could never get rid of Trey Young on that team. You no, you can't. That. And you hope you better hope Trey Young continues to be as insane as he is. Because, man, that could really haunt you. And that will haunt that will haunt them if, if Doncic goes on and wins multiple MVPs. Then you just can't make up for that for picking Trey Young over Luka Doncic. That's man, true. it's good to be talking basketball again. I'll say that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it is. It feels good. It definitely feels good. Which leads us to what Twitter been talking about in terms of the NBA. What it do, baby? Which is what, Mr. Ben? All right. So interesting. I'm not a big fan of talking a lot about the Ball family, but I thought this. You thought this was okay. Let's stop right there. Why is that? Why don't you like discussing about the Ball family? What is it that you don't like about the Ball family? I have to ask that too. I. I just do not like LeVar, LeVar. in mm, any shape or form. Uh-huh. Lonzo, that's, I am fine and on board with Lonzo Ball. I think he's a very good point guard who could be, you know, a, a pretty big piece for a team that makes a run. But, man, LeVar Ball out here just taking all the shine away from his kids. And he, but, he's, but he's not, though. He believes in his kids, Ben. He believes in his kids. He believes in his kids the way every parent should believe in their kids. Yep, my sons are the best, <laughs> the best to ever do it. Listen, sure, man, I am, I am, I am all on board with that. With the, there's a kid, there's a kid out here with the name Nakotis to ever do it. So that should tell you enough about how these parents are coming with their kids and what they believe for their kids and how much confidence they have in their kids' abilities, no matter what it is. And so for the coldest to ever do it, it's football. For LeVar Ball, it's the ball it's the ball brothers and how good they are at basketball. <laughs> it's interesting because I mean I'm all for obviously people believing in their kids, but with LeVar Ball it seems like he's done it to the detriment of his actual kids. Like Lonzo hates him now. Lonzo <laughs> does not like his dad. And I think I think Lonzo or I think LeVar has made it actively harder for his other kids to actually make it in the NBA. I just I think teams don't want to handle him. I think he's made poor decisions for them, and I think he's not helped them in situations where they needed help. I tell you what, <laughs> I can break this down to you like this, Ben. Lamelo Ball, right? He just went overseas to Australia, had a phenomenal season, won rookie over the year in that uh, NBL league. Yes. And after he finished the season, Lamelo Ball does what? He puts himself out there to try to buy the team that he plays for. The, how do you say the team? The Illawarra, the Illawarra Hawks. <laughs> so he, it's he Australian. Just, yeah, it's Australian. You know, it's an Australian NBL team, and so he's put himself in a position to buy that team. Now, let me ask you this: If had he went to UCLA, could he have done any of that? Could he have made any money? Could he have done any of these things he has done since deciding not to go to UCLA, like his two brothers? Could he have done any of these things that he has done by going to UCLA? Uh, probably not. But I think the interesting thing with that is too, is he has been able to make money, which is awesome. He's been able to now buy the team, which I, I don't know what his it's plans phenomenal. are, but even, I'm sure they're good. You can't even take that away. Yeah, but it's going to be great. Well, I think we'll have to fully analyze if the situation was good on how well he does in the NBA once he gets drafted, because I'm guessing the talent in the Australian league is nowhere near the type of talent he would have faced playing at UCLA in the Pac-12 and, and possibly in the NCAA tournament. So we'll see if that affected his growth or not in terms of competition. Oh. So, so wait, so where do you think Lamar, wait, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Where do you believe LaMelo Ball is going to go in this draft? Because if you don't oh, believe I, he's going to go top five, then I don't know what to tell you, Ben. <laughs> listen, we will have to see how he plays in the NBA. I mean, do, do you think? Oh, you're not a fan. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So wait, hold on. We gotta really stop. So we gotta really, we gotta rewind. So you don't think Lamelo Ball is gonna be the best ball brother? 
Because he's, he's better than Lonzo. He's better than Lonzo. At, he's better than Lonzo at 19. So when Lonzo was 19, Lamelo's better. Lamelo's Lamelo's better right now. Lamelo Lamelo's better than what? Lonzo yeah, I think was that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That. Yeah, no, I would say that. And so, I, like, for him to already be better, he can shoot better. I'm saying he's the, the shots look. The shot looks way better than Lonzo's when he came in the league. Correct? If I if I stare corrected on that. Sure. Oh yeah, Lonzo has a weird looking shot. Then his handle was better, and he's his handle's better. He's taller than his brother, and he's longer than his brother. So okay. he'll be able to he'll be able to defend now, and he's gaining a little more weight too from. You know, those high school days when he was dropping like 92 points on, on nobody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, so he's improved, but you know, I think he's going to be the best ball of the three. And then you obviously have Jello's going to continue working his way into the league because we all unfortunately knew that he was going to be the worst one <laughs> out of the, yeah, out of the three. That's true. And so, uh, no, it's some, it's some promise with Lamelo's game. Why you don't, you don't think Lamelo's going to be good? No, listen, I, I'm, I don't want to say that Lamelo is going to be bad or that Lamelo is going to be, you know, the next big thing. But I, I, my point is that I think we can't fully tell if all of these decisions have been right until we see how Lamelo actually plays in the NBA. Because if he comes out and he plays tremendously, then it, it was a great decision. It was fine. You know, it worked. He played. The competition was fine in Australia. It didn't stunt his growth at all. And he was able to just continue living his life as a great basketball player. But if he comes out and he underperforms with what people think he was going to do, you're going to start questioning his decision to play in Australia rather than against D1 talent. Not necessarily if you uh, if you bought the team. <laughs> like you bought the team. Like if you evolved? go over there and play for the team, then buy the team. Like that's like that's crazy. Like who does that? Like. That's one of one. Like, like who would ever think to even do something like that? So, like, you set yourself up financially, you know, if, if in the long run, if you look at it from that perspective, like, that's great. You got to look at it from that perspective, too. Like, you set your, setting yourself true. up, setting your family up by purchasing this team. Like, now you're, like, now you're a kid. When you have a kid, he could possibly have a team that he'll own someday. Like, you know, you, you got to think long term, Ben. You got to think long term. Oh, absolutely. Listen, <laughs> if, that, if, if Lamelo's number one goal is to set himself up financially, He's already done it. He's won. He he's he's won his life now. But you know, if his number one goal is to be a great NBA player, then that's still I think the jury's still out on that one. Oh yeah, the jury's definitely still out. That's still in question. But in terms of just how he's performed as a basketball player and as an athlete and handling business, would you give him an A plus? What would you give him? I think I would give him. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, I can I can get on board with that. If you if you buy the basketball team that you've played for for a while. I think you're doing a pretty good job, I would say, at that now, point. Now, the, the jury's out for me is, is uh, R.J. Barrett. But that's, I mean, not R.J. Barrett, but uh, R.J. Hampton. But that's a conversation for a different day. Well, that's interesting. I, I mean, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, we could we could do a whole uh, is the jury out segment later on <laughs> in different <laughs> Yeah, hey, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Is the jury out yet? I think that could work. Um, let's move on to the next one about what NBA Twitter is talking about. I found this kind of interesting because I think it could speak to what may happen down the road. But Giannis Antetokounmpo, the, the Bucks superstar, said he doesn't have any access to a hoop to practice on. I think he lives in like a big apartment um, in, in Milwaukee, and I'm, he probably has other houses elsewhere, but I think he's in Milwaukee still. But he doesn't have like a huge mansion house with a, with a basketball hoop like some other players do. So, I kind of found it interesting that we may have some NBA players who, if the season starts up again later in the summer, 
who come back having not actually, you know, played basketball in months. That could be well, wild. You know what? It's funny you bring that to my. It's funny you bring that to light because when Zach Levine and DeAndre Aiden were playing NBA 2K, I believe DeAndre Aiden has asked. I think he ended up asking him if he's been able to play. If Zach Levine's been able to play basketball throughout this whole, you know, pandemic, and he said yes. And he said he has a gym. Well, he said he has a gym, I believe, in his house. But he said he also is fortunate enough to have a gym that's like right around the corner from his house as well. And, you know, he lives in Seattle. So, like, you know, the basketball, you know, they love basketball out there in Seattle. You know, we wish, obviously, they had the Seattle uh, Supersonics still. But, mm-hmm. yeah, he said that he's able to still play basketball. And then DeAndre Aiden said the only thing he's really able to do is, car- is like, condition, cardio, lift weights, that sort of thing. Like, he's not really able to play basketball basketball either. But there are some players out there that are that still have access to gyms. But like you said, there's going to be some guys who may not, not even have that opportunity to touch a basketball at all and be able to do anything. But I have seen some interesting videos via Twitter, though, Ben, with different basketball mm-hmm. players dribbling around their house, keeping their keeping their uh, dribbles good, you know, keeping their pads good. I've seen Jaron Jackson dribbling ball, different mechanisms with the tennis ball, with the basketball, you know, different uh, formations, how to do it, you know, go, dribble high, dribble low, you know, all that sort of thing. And so, yeah. There's different ways for these guys to be able to uh, keep their games intact. But like you said, for some, like a guy like Giannis who's living in an apartment, doesn't have, you know, a mansion with a, with a basketball hoop in it or anything like that. Yeah, it could be tough. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're going to have to have at least like a week or two before the season starts, like uh, just like a mini training camp or something to get some of these guys back into game shape. Because even if you're able to touch a basketball, even if you're able to shoot around a little bit, and maybe you don't have a, speed. yeah, maybe you don't have a treadmill in your house or, or apartment or whatever, or you don't have access to it. You're going to have to get used to running for, for 30 minutes, you know, running and running in a game. And that's going to take some, some catching up because they're world star athletes. It'll only take them a week or two, but you're still going to have to have, I think that transition period for a lot of these guys. I mean, I can't imagine what Giannis looks like shooting a basketball, having not played basketball in a month when he's probably touched a basketball every single day of his life for the last 10 years exactly and that goes to show you for like a lot of like even other players too that may have to be in that same similar situation like you've been playing basketball your whole life and now because of this pandemic you can't even dribble well you probably could dribble basketball but you can't even shoot a basketball anywhere and you've been dribbling and, and shooting basketballs your whole life like your whole life and now you just can't for like weeks at a time or days yeah. at a time or even hours at a time like that's so crazy it's wild like, it's gonna this be wild virus to has to go <laughs> i agree and the last thing we wanted to talk about for the NBA Twitter this week was uh, they finally have finalized the horse competition. Yes, sir. It that is. They've conf- been talking about. It's confirmed. Yeah, they have the date like, and everything. I guess what they said, it's going to be uh, April 12th on Sunday. So if you're listening to this before April 12th, that is going to be Sunday. If you're listening to this after, it already happened, and I'm sure it was awesome. Um, but we have the candidates, Zach, and they look kind of fun. Zach Levine. Chauncey Billups, Tamika Catchings, Chris Paul, Paul Pierce, Mike Conley, Trey Young, Allie Quigley from the Chicago Sky. That's a, I mean, they did a pretty good job finding some good people. They did a pretty good job finding some people. I'm not really trying to see Paul Pierce. Because, see, if you watch Paul Pierce on TV, you'd think he invented basketball with the way he talks. So, like... <laughs> I'm not trying to see that energy with him playing horse, but Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot, you know what I'm saying? I am. I'm all here for that. Like, I can handle that. Listen, then, Paul uh, Trey Pierce, 
needs to do it. He needs to do a shot from a wheelchair. <laughs> he needs to do a shot from the wheelchair. We all see the meme of him crying when he was being wheelchaired out of the arena. He oh, absolutely <laughs> needs to do a horse shot from the wheelchair. I'm sure Trey Young will have some nice shots. But I seen, did you see on Twitter that Trey Young told Zach Levine that there's going to be absolutely positively no dunking. <laughs> so, no, so no dunking for trick shots for horse for uh oh. for Zach Levine. Which shoot, I would want I would want the same thing if uh if you ask me, especially if I'm six foot one and a half, soaking wet Trey Young. I can't do yeah. those half court between the legs. <laughs> That's definitely a, a generous six one too. Yeah, that is a generous six one. <laughs> I mean, you see Chauncey Billups trying to dunk, he'd break every bone in his body now. Yeah, but he's probably got some shots up his sleeve. Probably, probably, yeah. You know, he's Mr. Big Shot. But see, like, I wanted, I wanted guys who were doing trick shots before the game. So like, Steph Curry and the shots that he, that he puts up or remembering LeBron days when he was in Cleveland before games and what he would do, like shoot the ball from full court and make it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Or even Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard got some trick shots up his sleeve too. That's why I think Dwight Howard could have been a, uh, a good addition, but shout out to Quigley. They got the, uh, the WNBA girl in there. I like that too. Yeah. She's a, uh, she's a baller too for the Chicago sky. I like her. Yeah, she is. She's going to be facing off against Chris Paul um, in that quarterfinals group, too. But there, I mean, it's a whole thing. It's going to be Sunday is going to be the quarterfinals. And then on Thursday, they're going to have the semifinals uh, on the 16th. So it's going to be a whole thing. And I mean, it's fun to see the players play 2K. And we, we talked a bit about the players playing 2K in the previous Oh, yeah, they're still segment. going, too. Yeah, they're going to be still going, too. I'm but, looking forward to it because I'm all about uh, Patrick Beverly taking it all the way. <laughs> Chicago's own. I mean, it's going to be a bit more fun to watch them actually play basketball, you know, do fun shots, do cool shots to kind of see how it works. And my, my guy, Zach Levine, you got to respect it. He has been on top of doing anything the NBA has been wanting to do. Yeah, he's, he's bored. Been doing 2K. <laughs> he's super bored. He's been doing 2K. He's going to be doing this horse thing. He's definitely has to be. <laughs> he's got to be super bored right now. You have to imagine. If he's doing all of this stuff, he has to be. Super bored. But see, he said, he, remember remember we talked about this. He has a gym, so he's been able to work out and stuff still and get his shots up and everything too. So, you know what I'm saying? He's been, he's been pretty well-rounded, Zach Levine. You know, remember we talked about Giannis not being able to play basketball. And mm. so that's unfortunate for him. You know, guys, superstars like Giannis not being able to play. But then you have others who are able to take full advantage of the opportunity of having a gym nearby or a gym in their home, you know. So, yeah, Zach Levine, he has every opportunity to even come out on top on this. He probably won't be rusty. He's probably working on this right now as we speak. You know, all the kind of crazy shots. Because, hey, if you can make crazy dunks, you probably can make some crazy shots too, right, Ben? Oh, I agree. Do you have a Do you have a winner for this one? You ready? To, you 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 willing to pick a a horse winner? A horse winner. Well, if it definitely won't be Mike Conley, that won't be the winner. That will not be the winner. I will declare that. I will definitely do that. Uh, Mike. We need Conley. to do a whole episode where you talk about your beef with Mike Conley. And it would be a tremendous episode. Mike Conley Jr. won't be winning this uh, NBA horse challenge. That's for sure. But I'm going to give it to either Tamika Ketchens or... Mm. I could definitely see Tamika Ketchens. Tamika Ketchens. She's incredible. Yeah, or I want to say, cause see, no, see, Chauncey Billups, he might start off rusty, and he might get a, he might get H O R before it's too late, and I, <laughs> and I don't want to put that pressure on him, so 
I might have to go because it's and then Trey Young he'll probably fold because he 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 let us down in three point contest so he might fold in this game of horse. So I'm looking at it. Chris Paul he's pretty competitive because he's pretty good at bowling. So like anything outside of like you know the actual game of basketball, mm-hmm. which he'll probably be super competitive in. So like I'm probably gonna say either Tamika Catchings or Chris Paul to come out on top for this. That's NBA exactly challenge. yeah. That that's why we do a podcast together. I 100% <laughs> agree. Catchings or Paul? I I mean I, they're both amazing at, at shooting the ball and doing like cool stuff with it. So I could see either of them. And their first matchup, Tamika is versus uh, uh, going against Mike Conley, and Chris Paul is going against Ali Quigley. So those are their first round matchups. So listen, I I think the whole thing is going to be fun. I I hope they get a ton of viewership, and it's going to be some live basketball to watch, which is always exciting. Live basketball, any good basketball, any basketball is is great basketball. To you know, and it sucks because you know we really haven't really talked about the WNBA either and how their season has been shifted, you know, with this and it was yeah. coming up pretty closely too here. You know, WNBA draft was coming just around the corner too and they're suffering from this as well. Especially, you know, what sucks about this too, Ben, not to get off topic, but you know, the WNBA, they just implemented all these new things. You remember we talked about it on previous podcasts before about, you know, they got a salary increase and, you know, they're gonna have better flights and better hotels and and everything else. You know, it's gonna be a new direction and now they don't get a chance to really see it just yet you know it was going to be here it's going to implement you know this upcoming season but now they have to you know just have to wait and see what happens because we're all in quarantine (laughs) yes hopefully and hopefully the uh the league continues to to make some money and they don't lose enough money where that salary cap that they the salary cap increase which they agreed to hopefully doesn't become moot or or hurt the league where they won't be able to get paid something like that i mean it's you just don't know at this point. You don't know if if the money hopefully is still there for the players to be able to get that salary increase that they agreed to a couple months ago. Yeah, you only can hope for the best with this court with this coronavirus situation, and we hope it can end April 30th. They keep trying to extend it, but I hope it can be over really soon for everyone's mental sake because i know folks are starting to probably lose their heads <laughs> <laughs> that's what the hopefully the horse contest will uh will help people at least be yeah. entertained for a couple exactly. nights or so exactly um but yeah i think zach that's about all we have that's it for this edition of the points in the paint podcast make sure you follow us at points paint on twitter all your nba news of course you get it from shams follow us of course on stadium at stadium on twitter and follow Zach Badgerhouse. Follow Ben Winstein on Twitter as well. You can get all your other podcasts on the stadium. We got some new things coming up pretty soon. Make sure you listen to Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. Comes out every Friday. I know they're going to be coming out this week pretty soon. I've seen them talking about it. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they're doing in this. Yeah, how they're doing during this whole quarantine situation. And we'll see you guys next time. 